Well, hey, good morning. I am Todd Knight, one of the elders here, and I love this church, love the people here. Uh, you know, I've been serving on the elder team for, I don't know, 10 or 12 years, and I just want to say that I love these guys. They are some of the most humble and God-hungry, God-honoring men uh, that I know on the entire world, and uh, it is just an honor to get to be able to serve here and to follow Jesus here and do it with people that you love and people that are sharpening you and challenging you and helping you through life. So it's a beautiful thing. <clears throat> also, um, got some special guests here. Got my brother-in-law and his two kids here, John and Kimberly, my niece and nephew here, all the way from Plano, folks. Everybody knows what that drive is like, right? And they're here. Uh, Kimberly's about to head out to Texas A&M this fall. Yeah, look at that. And I just want to say to all you single guys, don't even think about it. Her dad and I have agreed she can start dating at 30, right? All right, Ron? And now she is fully embarrassed by Uncle Todd. So, mission accomplished. Well, hey, we're going to uh, uh, jump in here this morning, and uh, you can follow along your bulletin if you, if you want, or like I kind of like to do, follow on the CF app. You can take notes there and kind of stay up with the morning. <clears throat> Last week, one of our other elders, Yancey Smith, was preaching to us and talking. He was talking about John 15 and uh, about abiding, abiding in Christ and about remaining in Christ. And one of the questions he kind of posed to us is that we will, when we're wanting to abide and needing to abide, we'll be faced with the question, should I stay or should I go? And I found it amazing that our resident Greek scholar was able to make a theological point by referencing the 80s punk band, The Clash. Which is not to be confused with Dexie's Midnight Runners, another punk band. Come on, Eileen. All right? So I'm sorry that song will be stuck in your head now. You've got to be like 40 or over to even understand this. All the 20s are like on their phone going, who is The Clash? The Clash. Anyway, they'll figure it out here in a little while. <clears throat> But it was a great, it was actually a, a, a great message, and he was just, Yancey was basically saying, and we're going to kind of go a little deeper on it this morning, was just, when we are faced with that opportunity, the question is, will I trust the Father in this place? Will I, will I trust the nature of God in this opportunity where I, I need to abide, and I'm so wanting to go right now? And so we've got to, we want to work through that. And it just kind of depends on what you believe about God. In that moment, it, it depends on what, you, what our minds are believing about the Father in those opportunities. And so one of the questions is just, how is our thought life empowering us to follow Christ? You know, I like to ask myself in those places, are there any lies that I'm believing about God right now? Because I'm tempted to do this, and I, I feel like the Word is saying I ought to do, do this, and I'm not sure I want to do that right now. Lord, bring clarity to me. What, is there something I'm believing about you that's not completely the truth? And so today, today I want to talk about the fruit of the transformed mind. And I think there are certain subjects that are good for us to address from time to time, stuff like disappointments and resentment and unforgiveness, because those are things that we're dealing with on a regular basis. And it's helpful for us to talk about those because disappointments can certainly shape our beliefs along the way. And the enemy likes to be really active up here when those things are flowing in our lives. And 
you know, our life, generally, when we look at life, it's like, it's, it's amazing. In the big picture, life is amazing. Life is beautiful. Life is incredible. There's all these beautiful surprises and laughter along the way and these, you know, surprises, unexpected joys we get to come into from time to time. But reality is that our life isn't a romantic chick flick. You know what that, you know what that is, right? Just come over to our house on Friday nights and you'll see what a romantic chick flick looks like. Because unlike those movies, we actually have to deal with some sadness every now and then and some brokenness. And sometimes we even have to deal with death. And what we're believing in the moment will determine how we get through these situations. And so it will determine the level of faith and hope that we get to live with and carry throughout life. And today I want to talk about some keys to having a transformed mind. You could even subtitle this, Changing Stinking Thinking. Okay? Anybody ever had a, a moment of stinking thinking? Okay, yeah. Two people, that's wonderful. All right, open up to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, 1 through 2. So the first key to a transformed mind is that we want to be people that live as a disciple. Let's talk about what that looks like. What does that mean? A couple years ago, I turned 50 years old. Hard to believe, I know. Trust me. But God, it was a, it was a little season. It was an opportunity that God really used it as a strategic uh, moment for me. And it, it could have been, been called a little mini midlife crisis, I suppose. It depends on how you see that, what you expect that, where you're standing, what kind of community you're walking in will determine on how you walk out those little seasons. You can have them at 30, 40, 50, I suppose at 60. It's just where you stand in life and it's where you get to see the beginning and the end of life all in one picture. And what happens is you look at life and you're like, I want my life to count. I want my life to make a difference. I know what I was doing in my 20s and the 30s. God, what's it look like in the 40s now? Because the season's different. I've experienced some life. I've been through some stuff, and I understand you more. I've seen some things that have affected my heart. And so, Lord, what's this mean for the 50s and 60s? How do I pursue you? How do I bring you honor the same way that I did these years back here? Because life has happened along the way. Thankfully, this little... Season didn't involve any red Corvettes. It didn't involve me adding any jewelry to the collection. Y'all would have loved that, I'm sure. But it actually ended up providing a very uh, sober and honest evaluation of the kingdom life. It was very helpful. And so the results of the evaluation for me were that life is beautiful. In the big picture, you stand and look at the beginning and the end, it is a beautiful thing. It is a, a true privilege to be given this life we've been given. Uh, one of the second, second things, my, my takeaways was that relationships are precious. And people, people matter. The people that God brings through our lives, the people that we get to spend time with, it's just, it's beautiful. One of the third things I took away was that the ability to adapt to change is essential. 
Meaning that we've all got expectations, we've all got visions, we've all got ideas of how things are going to go, how they're going to turn out, where I'm going to be, what I'm going to be doing. And as we know, we often find ourselves standing at the threshold of those moments going, that didn't turn out like I thought. It's different than what I expected. And in those moments, by the grace of God, we've got to be able to make the change and adapt to what God's doing and kind of let go of our own expectations in those seasons. I found that the older you get, the bigger and the more omniscient that you see God. You see, as, as time goes on, as you live a little bit, you don't get there and go, oh man, I'm, I think I'm just about to the end of God. I think I've just about got this guy figured out. Yeah, oh man, I'm so close. No one's thinking that as they get older and older. Because it's like, as you live longer, it's like stepping into Narnia. It's like living in Narnia. And you're just like, whoa, like, I had no idea this was here. And after about 10 years, it's like somebody says, hey, man, have you seen the door on the back 40? And you go out there and, and Narnia and open this other door, and there's a thousand acres that you didn't know about. You're like, oh, my and you live there for about six or eight, ten years, and then somebody says, hey, have you been to the west, west side? Have you seen over there? And you run over there, and there's another door, and you open, and it's like million acres. And like, dude, I had no idea God was this awesome. And this is how it goes. This is what's, I, was, I was going through this thought in my mind. I was like, yeah, this is Ephesians 3, the unsearchable riches of Christ. He meant it. Like, you'll never get there. And it, and it, and it just gets better and better if you stay in with Jesus, if you keep abiding in him, keep walking with the people, keep staying in community. That's how we get there. I've learned that ideas that you once defended with vigor, you might now hold a little bit more loosely along the way. And you realize that God's not near as uptight about it as you were. Primarily because he's not insecure with himself. Another thing is that you will find yourself being less judgmental because you just want to be kind to people because you've been through enough of your own stuff. You've had enough public face plants in the kingdom. You have messed it up so many times and didn't get what you were sure was coming. You've got mercy and love. And the most public displays of failure the king came to carry in love. And when you get treated like that, your heart is just to give it to other people. You see somebody all wound up and mad and angry or cursing God or whatever it is, and you're like, I'm really not going to judge them right now because I've, I've walked through that. I've been, I didn't say what they're saying, but I thought it. Maybe I did say it. But I'm just going to give mercy to this person because... I want to give the love. I want to help them. I want to be here for them when they're ready to talk. You know, in Christ, hopefully our hearts will be getting more tender as the days go on. And when we get to the end of life, nobody's going to say, man, I wish I'd have held on to that unforgiveness just a little bit longer. I mean, I wish I'd have been a little more judgmental. I'd have felt so good about myself. I mean, I wish I'd have just been rigid and demanding. That'd have been wonderful. Nobody's going to say that. Amen? All right.
Let's uh, look at the text. Romans 12. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is for you. So it says, be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. So he's talking here to this people. And what the text is saying to this group of people is that this is what you ought to be able to do at the level of faith and maturity you're walking in. You should be able to do this. You have the ability. You are equipped to do this. In the text, the terms living and holy and pleasing, they're words that are describing how unusual it is the type of sacrifice that the believers in the New Testament get to offer. Because in the Old Testament, all the sacrifices were dead. But there's a problem with living sacrifices, and it's they tend to crawl off the altar. Can you hear me? And we crawl off from time to time because we're not sure how we feel about full surrender in the moment that we are faced with. We want to keep our options sometimes. All of the problems of humanity come from wrong thinking about God. As Dallas Willard said, that because they are our thoughts, we assume they are correct. You know, and if we look around the world, see all the things that are going on right now, we might want to say that or question is transformation like really happening? Is it really happening out there? And the only way that transformation doesn't work is when people stop living as disciples, when people stop becoming followers, when we stop listening to Jesus and doing what he says every day, that's the only way. You see, some people might look and say, question if the if the, does the church really work? People come in and have experiences, opinions get formed about it, and then, you know, I think the public might question, is transformation happening in the church? It's our decision to, to determine how that's going to work out. Any place that there are people following Jesus, looking to Jesus, devoting their life to Jesus, offering themselves up, listening to him day after day and week after week, walking together, any place that is happening, you will find a church that is alive and it's impacting its society and its culture. Every time. God have mercy that we would be those kind of people. God help us. Second key to transformation is that we would love one another. You know, if we took a poll of what is one of the most important spiritual attributes needed for the kingdom life. I think some of us might say that brokenness, having a tender, having a surrendered heart, having no confidence in the flesh, and that is acutely needed in the walk that we've been called to live. 
But I think sometimes we overlook the place of love in our lives. Jesus told his disciples, he said, I'm not going to be here much longer, guys. And he said, and there's a new commandment I'm going to give you, that you love one another. He says that there's going to be one key mark of a disciple, and it's that they love one another. It's, there's going to be one mark of a Christian, that they are about love. Is that what we hold ourselves up to in this room? Is this what we look to? Is this the, is this the key for us walking together and living as a family? That we encourage one another in that place that we are going to love each other. No matter what it takes, I will find a way to love you and to honor you. I will commit to walking with you throughout this journey. Go over at Colossians 3, 8 and 14, 8 through 14. Colossians 3, 8 through 14, it says, But now you must rid yourself of all such things, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. There is no Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, church, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have had against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these things... All these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. So he says to rid yourself of anger and rage. Clothe yourselves with compassion. And anger has a purpose in our life. The purpose of anger is for us to see that something's wrong. For us to see and to take notice that Something needs to change. If I'm feeling this, if I'm expressing this, that's the point is to go, whoa, let's take an inventory. What, what just happened? I came face to face with this a couple years ago. I was at the office and I was talking with somebody on the phone. And I don't even remember what the conversation was about entirely, but we were having a very different take on what was happening, how things were going, and... Uh, it, it wasn't going well, and accusations were being made, and blah, blah, this and that, and I got ticked, and just started, you know, the emotions started rising, you know, and I just, I was like, I was almost shaking when I was on the phone, I was so upset, and, you know, we ended up hanging up, and I just remember hanging up the phone, and just stepping back in my office going, what just happened? What is going on in here, man? Like, this does not match, this is this is not who I am. It's like I had this you know, thing going on that measured about right here, but my response was this. And it was just a, like, not, this is not the kingdom. But I didn't understand what was going on. I just, all you can feel is the emotion in the moment. And I remember that afternoon, I was calling a friend. I was like, hey, man, uh, I need to talk. Like, I got something going on that's bothering me, and I'm not sure how to work through this right now. Uh, and just even on the drive over there, the 10-minute drive, I just remember asking the Lord, like, 
Lord, what happened? Well, how did, how, did this, how did I get here? And just in that moment, I heard God say as clear as anything, you went to bed too many nights angry. I was like, the word of God is true. He means what he says. And I, you know, when God speaks truth to you, there's no, there's no uh, response needed, just a... Yep, yep. And it's just, you know, anger doesn't just rise up in the moment. Anger comes from stuff, something that's been going on back here in the background for a time that's not been dealt with. You've been sweeping it under the rug and then holding on to it. And then it, 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 it comes out in weird, awkward places. And our friends that we live with get to feel the beauty of this slime. And we don't want to be those people. And my point in saying this is that transformation can only occur when we are being disciples, when we are listening to Jesus, allowing him to speak to us, and then responding to what he is saying. That's the people that we want to be. Those are the people we must be. We want to be people that are taking our thoughts captive. Look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verses 3 through 5. It says, for though, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish strongholds in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. When Paul's talking about these arguments here, that's what he's talking about, people having arguments, and he's figuratively calling them strongholds. In the Greek, strongholds can also be called speculation. And if left unchecked, and we just keep living and thinking with speculation, our minds can become like this wall of a fortress because we just speculate and we just build and build the wall until it's almost impenetrable. And the problem with having this kind of thinking is that we become very resistant to other ideas on the topic. We become very rigid. We become very dogmatic on the people having opposing views that might actually help us, that might actually give us an insight. And so we become rigid and we hold on to this because we just speculate speculate, and he did this, she thought that, she should have done that, they made a bad decision, my wife should have done this, my kids should have done that, and, and we've got this fortress now around the mind that even God's not going to come and tear down. He wants us to take the wall down and give it and surrender our ways to him. In Matthew 16, Jesus is talking <clears throat> to his disciples, and he's telling them, he's saying, guys, I need you to be careful. I need you to watch out for the religious and the political systems that we are living in right now in our culture. And so he says, he says, I want you to be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees because where they live, God is impersonable and he's powerless. Be careful of that. And I want you to be careful 
of the political system where ideology is typically humanistic by nature. Watch out for these things. Why is he talking with them about leaven? Because it only takes a little bit of yeast to infect the entire batch. And so he said, stay pure. Keep your mind right before me. And the disciples are listening to this. They're listening to these profound thoughts he's saying. And one guy in the back of the boat, the text says, his response to this is, hey, I'm hungry. I don't have anything to eat. It's like, really? Really? That's where we're going to go right now? In Mark 8, it's the same story. They're just telling a little bit different. And so Jesus is is saying these same same things about the Pharisees. And he hears these guys talking. The Pharisees actually walk up to him and it says they came to test him. And the next words say, Jesus sighed deeply. (laughs) Ah! He's like, these dudes. Really, you bunch of jokers is what he's looking at. And I love it because he barely gives them the time of day. He looks at them, here's their comment to him, and he tells the disciples, get in the boat. We are going to the other side of the lake. We are not hanging out here with these characters. I'm not not even going to entertain this right now. But I do have something to talk to you guys about on the way, about what they just said. And so they're going out there. Jesus is telling them, those guys, look out. Minds like that, avoid it. Don't, don't, don't let yourself get like these guys are thinking, okay? And as they're going over there, he's like, uh, did I hear you guys talking about not having any bread? Is that what I hear you talking about? They're like, he's like, uh, for starters, guys, I just fed 5,000 people without any food twice. And you're looking for crumbs in the bottom of the boat. And he says to them, He says, are you guys talking about bread, not having any bread? And then his next comment is powerful. He goes, oh, are your hearts hardened? They're like, what? He goes, yeah, are your hearts hardened? Still, it's going over their head. But why did he say that? Why did he ask them if their hearts were hardened? It's because it matters. Because he knows that hardened hearts poison the mind. Every response we have in life is that either out of love or fear. So how many of you have ever been through a little financial crisis in in life? Little financial crisis. How many of you saw God meet you in that financial crisis along the way? Amen, amen. How many not too long after that had another financial crisis along the way? Yeah. And how many of us were just as nervous about that as we were the first one? Yeah. It's because we have trouble trusting the nature of God in these places. But with God, it's never about punishment. It's always about his love. It's it's always about him wanting to show us his nature. He is a good, good father. You see, we think sometimes he does these miracles because he just wants to show like this little temporary emergency response to us. But God's saying, I'm trying to show you my nature. Like this is who I am. I'll never let you down. I'll always take care of you. I don't need bread to eat. I don't need nothing to fix dinner. Just come and listen to what I have to say. Just because I'm not talking about dinner to you doesn't mean I don't care about dinner tonight. 
I got it. I got this. Go with me. I want to talk about some higher things with you guys. The last point for having a transformed mind is that we will ultimately have to trust ourselves to this love. We have got to believe in the goodness of God. We have got to know the nature of God, especially when we find ourselves in the wilderness. That's when it gets real. You know, he is the most, the most consistent person and he absolutely delights in helping you. Because he is the same yesterday and today and forever. You know, my own personal testimony has been that he is the most faithful person I have ever known. There is no, there's no shadow in him. He never changes. It is who he is. He will be faithful. He will meet you in the darkest, most lonely, most unlikely place. He will show up. It's what he loves to do. It's who he is. And he loves to show this to his kids. You know, Moses once asked him, said, show me your glory. And God's like, okay. What did he send? He said, I'll let my goodness pass in front of you. Why didn't he send power and anointing and anything else he could have to? Of all, I got one chance to blow this guy's mind, to give him what he asked, and I'm going to let my goodness pass in front of him. It was enough to change Moses. It's because he's good. He's a good, good father. It's who he is. It's who he is. It's what we are. He's consistent and he's unpredictable all at the same time. He's called us to see the invisible and do the impossible. The issue is you and I can't do it. All we got to do, though, is let him come and do it in us. You see, we never, you, we can't really know what God's doing. But we can always know where we are with God. We can always know who he is. He is not always going to tell us what's coming next. Rarely will he tell us everything. But he will always come through. He can't do anything other than be who he is. Faithful, dependable lover, father, king. It's who he is. It's what he lives for. If you would, go ahead and be standing. Get the worship team, the ministry team down. You and I, we must have a revelation in our hearts of who God is, of what he's really like. It is what he is living to do is to show us who he is and to bring that revelation to us. <clears throat> and this testimony, it is so real, it is so defining that it will drive everything in us. And it's this knowing that He is the Lord and He doesn't change. This is the testimony that He wants to, to fill us. My encouragement to you this morning is don't get distracted on your way into the nature of God. Don't stop and certainly don't go before God has finished showing you who he is. Because as he loves us so much and he is relentlessly going to, wants to reveal himself to us. And when this revelation begins to become more real, 
we're going to find ourselves getting out of the boat. What we're going to find is that no one has to tell you to do it. No one has to inspire you to do it. There's just going to be this instinctive need inside of you to get the foot out of the boat and to go join him. And you, when, when we do this, when we live like this, when we believe like this and have been transformed by the king in this manner, we will find ourselves going in places we have no business going. I give you exhibit A. This is what he does. So I want to encourage you this morning. If you're like, man, this is the greatest news ever. I want to give myself to Jesus for the first time. Come, we got people that love, love you, want to pray with you. We'll introduce you to this king and this journey. It's, it's awesome. And whatever God's saying to you this morning, the opportunity is to just go ahead and get out of the boat and just start walking with him. And let's be the men and women, the God honoring men and women that he has called us to be, that he's made us to be, that we are. Let's just be who God made us to be. Let us pray for you, encourage you. If you're discouraged, you need prayer, you're sick or anything, please come. We want to pray and encourage you this morning.